Chapter 17 The Duke of Matchmaking Evan had a big day. He took a quick break after he got word on the set that his car was ready at Big Mike's. He hailed a cab for the few blocks to La Brea and Sunset and paid for the Ford, which now looked as good as new. Getting into the seat and driving it back to RKO Paramount was a joy. He felt like a million dollars driving a car that wasn't so completely out of place. Never before had he so believed that he was exactly where and when he was supposed to be. The car seemed to drive smoother now, or maybe that was his imagination. The gears whispered as they changed. The tires felt steadier on the road. Maybe the Ford had been as out of place in 2021 as Evan was in 1946. Maybe, just maybe, time had a way of rejecting such objects and people it didn't know what to do with. Evan worked with Bill in the edit bay until 5.30 p.m. Then Bill asked if he could go through all the edits and double-check the splices to make sure they held. Evan was hoping to run by the Railhead Diner before then and pop in on Dorothy. Life was so exhilarating for him at the moment, he could barely keep his thoughts straight. After he finished all the tasks Bill set before him, he drove his Ford to the diner. As Evan looked through the diner's front entrance window, Dorothy turned his way, looking out at that exact same moment. Their eyes met and she smiled and waved. Evan walked in. Now face to face, they regarded each other for a brief instant, as if both were too awash with anticipation and other burgeoning emotions to move or speak. Wow! Dorothy finally breathed, red painted lips parting in a smile. Nice surprise! Evan couldn't help but return her sweet smile. It was that infectious. I figure if we got lucky, we could go to the movies tonight, he offered, raising his eyebrows. And I know just the one, she said, leaning against the counter playfully. Very romantic, and with an actor you know. Really? Evan said, with mock surprise. Yes, sir, Mr. West. She grinned and took Evan by the arm. He walked her to his Ford, which looked absolutely at home then opened the door for her like a gentleman should. You sure I'm not stealing you away from Richie or school tonight? Evan asked, circling around the car to hop in on the driver's side. As soon as he sat down, Dorothy reached for his hand. You are, but a little hooky now and then never hurt anyone. She said with a smile. And so they were off, rolling through the valley and finally pulling in to the El Patio Theater, which offered a revival of the Philadelphia story with Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and Evan's favorite, Jimmy Stewart. Don't you love oldies? Dorothy asked as they parked. Oldies? From six years ago? Evan mused. Then he remembered. In the days before TV and reruns, movies got a run of a few weeks at most. Then they were stored away for safekeeping. Rarely were movies shown again after their first release. TV, with its insatiable appetite for content, changed all that in the 50s and 60s. 
It was a Wednesday night. The house was mostly empty, not many moviegoers present. Evan had seen the film before, but his attention was fixed on Dorothy and her blazing presence beside him. Even in her modest waitress uniform and apron, her hair done up in a basic bun, she radiated a kind of sweet, one-in-a-million uniqueness and timeless elegance. She just seemed perfect. You want to hold hands? She asked, her lips upturned in a coy grin. Without waiting for Evan's answer, she pulled his hand onto her lap. Evan grew nervous. This was turning out to be one of the most satisfying moments he'd had in his life. She smelled great. She felt great. And being near her was intoxicating. The way she smiled, how she truly glowed with inner happiness, was overwhelming to Evan. Everything she wore was perfect, not because of the clothes, but because of the confident woman beneath them. Evan had never in his life met someone more comfortable in their own skin. The film played, and all throughout the experience, Evan fought the urge to steal a kiss from her, but he held out. It wasn't due to fear. It was something else. He respected her too much. The movie concluded, leaving them both teary-eyed. They walked slowly back to Evan's Ford, neither seeming to want the moment to end. Dorothy stopped and pointed to a very bright object in the sky. I see that one first every night, brightest star and always near the moon, she said. It's not a star, Evan corrected. Dorothy screwed up her face and cocked her head. Of course it's a star, she sighed. What would you call it? It's a planet, Evan explained. Venus. Poets called it the morning and the evening star. Brightest object in the sky, aside from the moon. She turned to face him, and Evan dived in for a kiss. I love smart men, she cooed when Evan broke away, to which she smiled and then dove back in. They kissed for a long time. Evan was in heaven. They sat in the car, and Evan put on the radio. Just a little fond affection, played by Gene Krupa and his orchestra, set the tone as they drove to Dorothy's house. They didn't speak. The moment seemed too magical for that. Evan pulled up in front of her house, put the car in neutral, and tugged the parking brake on. He looked into her eyes and then to the wedding ring she still wore. Dorothy noticed, and for a second, she looked afraid. Where did your husband die? Evan asked gently. Dorothy took her time answering. In France, on the beach at Normandy, June 6th. A long silence transpired between them. She wiped a tear from her eye. He's buried in France and will be 24 years old forever. He was my first love, and I swore I'd never take the ring off until the day I died. She took both of Evan's hands, looking deeply into his eyes. You ever been in love before? Not just in lust or maybe I like her, but really, really in love with all of your heart? Evan wasn't sure how to answer because he didn't know. Yeah, maybe, 
I think so. Never told her, but maybe. Then you weren't. When you're in love, you know it. You know it through and through. You know it in your heart, your soul, your intellect. And when you do know it, you have to tell her. If you don't, the opportunity will pass and you'll lose her. When they're gone, they're gone. Just ask me. I know all about it. Okay. Evan nodded fervently. He looked into her eyes, those hauntingly beautiful eyes. He kissed her what felt like a long time. And during what couldn't have been more than a minute, he had an out-of-body experience. He floated away on a blissful silver cloud. Then she pulled away. Good night, Evan West. See you on the set tomorrow. She gave him one last look, then left the car without a goodbye glance over her shoulder. It's best that way, Evan thought. Lingering glances are pointless if you know how you feel about somebody. Maybe Evan was in love with Dorothy. Maybe. He couldn't imagine he was anything else with her but in love. And if that were indeed the case, how could he go back to 2021 with all its ugliness? Life wasn't life in 2021. It was slow death. Evan returned to Jimmy's house around 8.30, where he found Jimmy in a tuxedo waiting for him. Jimmy watched him walk in, eyes twinkling. Nice night out, he asked. Yep, Evan couldn't help but grin. Saw a good film. Maybe you've heard of it. Could be, Jimmy said, straightening his jacket. Philadelphia story. Grant and Hepburn were exceptional. Evan smirked. Yeah, it's okay. But that Stewart fellow needed some work, Jimmy quipped. Come on, get dressed. We got a party to go to. On a school night? Evan asked. Jimmy picked up on the reference right away and chortled. Yup, a school night. I like that. Come on. Evan frowned. I don't have anything nice to wear, he pointed out, hoping to get out of the obligation. Yes, I'm way ahead of you on that. Jimmy moved to a hall closet and took out a dark blue suit, pants, a jacket, a red tie, and a white shirt. I passed by my favorite thrift shop, used to shop there all the time in my lean years, and picked this out for you. Figured it might come in handy. Jimmy had a jolly glimmer in his eyes. You'll like this party, kid. Really? Evan asked, unconvinced. Not really the party type. Old friend of mine's invited us. Ever heard of John Wayne? My buddy Gary Cooper says he's got a girl he wants me to meet, and I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't interested. So, see what you can make of yourself and be ready in ten. I need a wingman, someone who can get me back to base. Evan admired the suit. Jimmy, he said slowly, that was very thoughtful of you. He waved it off. Off you go. Get dressed. Your shoes are fine, by the way. You buy those at Wexler's? Evan wasn't sure how to answer. 
Wexler's. Must have been some men's shop or shoe shop that probably died in the Kennedy era. Jimmy headed to his bar and poured himself a Johnny Walker red. Evan made his way to the guest house to work on getting party worthy. He cleaned up fast and, in his opinion, looked pretty darn good. You about ready out there? Jimmy yelled to Evan from the kitchen. Evan smiled at his reflection in the bathroom mirror. Think so? The Duke's shack, as Jimmy referred to John Wayne's house, was also in Beverly Hills, just off of Sunset Boulevard near Beverly Drive. It was a magnificent mansion with two pools and a waterfall. The Packard limousine carrying Evan and Jimmy swung into the huge driveway, already populated by a dozen cars and a few motorcycles. Evan noticed that Jimmy was not himself, as he nervously fidgeted with his sleeve and tie throughout the trip. Evan thought it was just the prospect of meeting that girl who Gary Cooper wanted him to meet, though he had the feeling it was more than that. Once at the party, Jimmy's worry was even more pronounced. Jimmy got out of the car and smoothed his jacket, eyes flickering around. Let's go out back, Evan. It'll be stuffy in there, and I don't like cigarette smoke. Evan followed him out back to the garden pool area, where Jimmy paced back and forth, hands stuffed in his pocket. I'm really tired of Strickler harassing Frank about this movie, he finally said. Bad enough we had to shoot those dreadful scenes, which Frank did out of studio pressure, but now he's forcing Capra to actually use them. It screws everything up, Evan. Those scenes will sink both me and Frank. We'll be done, finished, know what I'm saying? Jimmy reached over to a passing waiter who had a tray full of whiskeys and snatched a glass. He downed it in one gulp. I've been out of the game now for too long to come back and foul up everything. I agree completely, Jimmy. I personally think the guy's a Philistine a nickel and dimer who thinks he knows movies, and worse, thinks he knows better than people like Frank, who's been doing this a long time. And he looks like a guy who used to be a criminal, Evan said emphatically. Used to be, he thought. Ha, huh, still is, considering what he did last night. Well, it won't wash in the long run, Jimmy nodded to himself. If I have to throw my weight around on the issue, then so be it. I'm not going to let that suit with a mean face throw my career off track. I've worked too hard, and frankly, he's not proven himself to me at all. The pool was occupied by a colorful mix of young people in bathing suits. Near the swimming partygoers stood a more mature crowd, dressed in evening gowns, suits, and tuxedos. As Evan approached the group, mingling poolside, he saw the man towering above them all. John Wayne, in a black jacket, gray tie, and gray slacks, was absolutely massive. He grinned big, waved at Jimmy, and lit a camel. As he approached them, cigarette in hand, Evan noticed a very pretty young woman behind him. Jimmy, glad you could make it the Duke said in his famous growl, standing opposite Jimmy. 
Evan gazed at the man's lined face, slightly squinting eyes and graying hair, smoothly combed to the side. The man projected calm and casual, despite the lavish crowd, his high-class clothes and expensive surroundings. John, glad to be here. This here is one of our new editors on The Greatest Gift, Evan West, and a friend now as well. Jimmy clapped Evan on the back. The Duke extended his hand, which was unbelievably huge, to Evan. Good meeting you, West. He flashed his signature smile. Well, so far, looks like it's gonna be a good party. Grab yourselves some drinks. I only stock the best liquor and finest grub. I need to make the rounds as host, but I'll catch up with you later. He took a pull of his cigarette as he moved away. Evan was pleased, but not surprised, that the John Wayne on the silver screen was basically the same man in real life, and just as unforgettable. Another familiar face stepped their way. Gary Cooper. His wife, Rocky Cooper, was slim, elegant. Her face was honest but beautiful. Evan's eyes moved from Rocky to the straight and delicate mouth and perfectly coiffed hair of the woman next to her, a striking young lady who stood out even next to Rocky. Jimmy seemed genuinely happy to see them. Great seeing you, Jimmy exulted. Rocky's austere yet elegant features were striking. At the moment, her petite, darkly painted lips were turned down in exasperation. She tugged at Gary's sleeve before turning her brown eyes on Jimmy. James, help me out here. Gary's had three martinis and once another. Gary looked like the cat who swallowed the canary. Jimmy laughed. If the man wants a drink, then let him have one, or two. But no more, Gary. You're going to ruin tomorrow's takes, Jimmy laughed. I need the blur of booze to get me through the days working with Fritz Lang, Gary slurred. Aw, oh, come on. You can't be that bad, Jimmy said. Want to trade? Frank and me get along great, Gary offered. Thanks for nothing, James, Rocky said, arching her pencil-thin eyebrows, half joking, half serious. I'm just doing my best, Rock, Jimmy said, then noticed the young woman with them. Rocky's black hair, curled up at the ends, bobbed as she turned toward the young lady as well. This is Gloria McLean, James. I mentioned to you earlier I wanted you to meet her. She's quite the fan, ever since Mr. Smith, Rocky explained. Evan knew she was referring to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which introduced Jimmy to the movie-going world in earnest. Gloria looked at Jimmy demurely. Evan could tell she wasn't just putting it on. She was genuinely starstruck. Gloria didn't seem to belong in this crowd of perfectly made-up faces and plastic surgery recipients, she radiated a genuine quality, just as Dorothy did. They both had that edge that made them stand out in the palm-tree-studded fantasy land that was Los Angeles. Gloria's blonde hair was swept to the side, 
and she had an innocence about her that matched Jimmy's perfectly. Of course. I only saw the film for the first time last year, Mr. Stewart. Gloria said in a charming voice. But I was hooked. She smiled, and her lovely face, with its perfectly sized lips and long nose bobbed cutely at the tip, lit up like the sun. Her hair, sweeping down to her shoulders in a wave, was a light, straw-colored blonde that shined fetchingly. Now you go ahead and stop that Mr. Stewart stuff, young lady, Jimmy said in a drawl, his eyes glued on hers. Jimmy'll do just fine. Mr. Stewart's my dad. I'm just plain old Jimmy. Evan immediately felt sparks fly between them. Evan knew Jimmy Stewart would marry her someday. It was exciting to be a fly on the wall for their first encounter. Clearly, the two of them just fit together perfectly from the start. The night wore on. Evan, who remembered the old maxim, look like you belong, did so, mingling with starlets, would-be writers and directors, and the established elite of Hollywood. He shook hands with Clark Gable, Joan Blondell, Frizz Freeling, Otto Preminger, Billy Wilder, Paulette Goddard, Laurence Olivier, and Fay Ray. Now immersed in the inner circle of a John Wayne party, Evan realized there were no hurdles to prove himself. He was among the Olympian deities, and everyone could take off the mask and not worry. They were, overall, nice and unpretentious, just ordinary people enjoying a party with other movie stars they shared a common bond with. They were all in, and everyone else was out. Evan knew very well what it meant to be the latter, being a perpetual outsider himself. It was already past midnight, but considering the energy level of the crowd, Evan felt this party could go on well into the dawn. Evan saw Robert Walker, who later would go on to star in the phenomenal Strangers on a Train five years in the future. Walker was another G.I. who had returned from the war and was at present mostly known for his part in 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Walker had lost his wife, Jennifer Jones, to David O. Selznick. And Walker wasn't over it, not by a long shot. Inebriated to the point of incoherence, Walker buttonholed Evan in a long conversation about life on Mars, the possibility of life on Venus, and whether or not the Earth had been visited by travelers from another world. Evan finally escaped the strange conversation when Walker excused himself to the bathroom, where more than likely he was going to hurl. Evan shook his head. He had never been fond of alcohol. The idea of getting completely whacked out of one's mind and then spending the next two days recovering wasn't something he had any interest in exploring. To Evan, all liquor tasted like lighter fluid anyway. Evan searched for Jimmy and saw him pulling the Walker treatment on Gloria McLean. He stood and listened as Jimmy sang Danny Boy and other numbers and switched to a few vaudeville-style jokes, then offered her an overblown imitation of Ed Wynn, all while she smiled at him indulgently. 
as Jimmy started in on the Frank Sinatra hit south of the border, Gloria flashed a look of desperation Evan's way. Jimmy, let's get out of here, Evan said, gently taking him by the arm. Ah, party's just getting started, young man, he sang, then broke into an awkward jitterbug. Evan winced. Believe me, he muttered. You want to leave now. You asked me to be your wingman, and the wingman gets his partner back to the airfield. Evan tilted his head slightly to Gloria, now standing off by herself, bored and ignored. If we make a graceful exit now, Jimmy, you can make amends later. Jimmy stared, eyes slightly glassy as his liquor-muddled brain slowly processed Evan's suggestion. You think so? Sure of it, Evan said. I'll say goodnight for us. Why don't you head out front and call for the limousine? Sure. Good idea, Jimmy nodded as he wobbled through the garden gate. Evan approached Miss McLean, who turned to him and smiled. Leaving so soon, my new friend? Early day tomorrow. How is Jimmy? She asked, hopefully. Oh, he'll be fine. Just one too many, Evan said, waving it off. He's only like that when he gets nervous. Why was he so nervous? She asked. Because of you, Gloria. You're beautiful, and he really likes you, I can tell. Gloria smiled sweetly. I like him, too. Evan raised his eyebrows. So you'll give him another chance? Like another date? What girl could say no to a date with Jimmy Stewart? She asked with complete sincerity. I'll let him know. Good night, and nice meeting you. Evan nodded to her and headed out to the limo. Evan heard her say goodbye and hoped that in his own small way, he had set history on its right path and Jimmy Stewart on the way to the altar. Evan was pleased to see Jimmy make it to their limo without wandering off course. He got in next to Jimmy, settling into the dark, cushioned seat. The limo started, and they were back at Jimmy's house within eight minutes. Evan tipped the well-built but soft-spoken limousine driver a Hispanic driver who was wearing a uniform clearly tailored for a much bigger man. The driver helped Evan get Jimmy into his house and into bed. Jimmy was asleep before he hit the pillow. Evan sighed. At least Jimmy had a late call tomorrow, unlike himself, which meant the star could sleep off what was sure to be one hell of a bad hangover. Evan's heart went out to him. Whatever fun he might have had back at Duke's house wasn't worth the headache, exhaustion, and bleariness that always came with overindulgence. Evan abruptly realized he was exhausted. He had not slept in two days and was starting to hallucinate, seeing weird shadows where none could be. Evan headed to the guesthouse slowly to ensure he was going the right way, as his senses were starting to betray him a little. He undressed and hit the sheets. Feverish hallucinations immediately overwhelmed him. Dreams came on like fireballs thrown from Zeus. Evan dreamed he was back in 2021 
and Theodore Martin Huckabee, the mass shooter who was influenced by Evans' terrible trailer for rage, was seated across from Evan. Half of Huckabee's hat was missing, and blood dripped from an open wound. He leaned toward Evan, a horrific grin on his face. I knew I'd find you somewhere, Huckabee mumbled, his eyes shining. You can't hide. I'll follow you anywhere. I'm your biggest fan. Evan awoke with a start. Tendrils seemed to hold him to the bed. He was paralyzed. He finally fought his way clear of the invisible ropes tying him down and sat up. He blinked in the darkness, which still seemed very alive with Theodore Martin Huckabee's presence. Evan realized he was still burdened by the killer's horrific actions. Evan wiped the sweat off his face and leaned forward, catching his breath. Yes, it was guilt that had led him to do something as crazy as steal those film cans from the monstrous Connor Alcott, which in turn had led him here to 1946. How? He still didn't know. But Huckabee had set the wheel in motion. Gwen broke up with him. Connor desecrated It's a Wonderful Life, and then came the final trigger. Huckabee shooting nine people to death and wounding countless others, both mentally and physically. Some of those wounds would never heal. Evan, exhausted beyond comprehension, fell back to sleep and saw Theodore Martin Huckabee again, and it wouldn't be for the last time. I'll follow you anywhere. I'm your biggest fan, was all Huckabee ever said, but he just kept saying it. Evan dreamed he was with Jimmy at the Duke's party, and across the pool stood Huckabee, blood dripping, waving to Evan like a child. The dream switched to Huckabee in the editing room, peering over Evan's shoulder, flesh falling onto the long spools of film smearing the masterpiece he was working on. Evan woke up panting after each dream. He was hoping for at least four hours of sleep that night, but managed only about forty minutes, before waking up at seven to get ready for work. Hopefully, Huckabee wouldn't follow Evan to the editing room. That was the last thing he needed. Evan swallowed hard as he got in his car and drove off.